Amen. So today we are continuing in our message series uh, that's really for this spring semester of selfishness versus soul-filled. Are, are we going to be selfish people? Are we going to be selfish single folks, married folks, parents, children? Are we going to be selfish in our lives or are we going to be soul-filled? Today, the sermon is continuing this theme of forgiveness. Now, we preached uh, three sermons in the midst of this series, uh, including last week's sermon on prayer for forgiveness on the issue of prayer. But as I said, with that sermon, we are also bridging into kind of a two-Sunday two discussion on the issue, the challenging issue for many of us, of forgiveness. So last week's sermon, if you missed it or, or need to go back, it really pairs with this week's prayer for forgiveness. Today, the sermon is this, victim, avenger, or forgiver. Victim, avenger, or forgiver. And of course, in case you missed it, you're going to be one of those three, <laughs> victim, avenger, or forgiver. And uh, subtitle, beaten, bitter, or believer? Which one of those are you going to be? Beaten, bitter, or believer? Uh, we turned last week to the central beatitude, the one that's at the heart of the beatitudes, that I will remind you of again today as we begin this message. Jesus says, this is in, recorded in what we would call Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, those who are full of mercy, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And of course, a merciful person is not going to be over here in the selfish category. You are talking about soul-filled and to be filled in the soul with mercy that comes from God and to be flowing with mercy. We talked about that last week. Key to that whole proposition, to that calling in the gospel is prayer. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward today. But let's pull back for a moment. I want to pull back and remind you of the punchline of this series, which is this. Selfishness, which sounds like you're taking care of yourself and defending yourself, actually is suicidal to yourself. To be selfish is suicidal to yourself. We started off with that in this whole series, remembering what Jesus teaches his disciples telling them they need to deny themselves, their soul, their life, and take up their cross and follow him. Jesus goes on with this incredible paradox of gospel wisdom, which is this. Jesus says, for whoever tries to save his self, tries to save his soul, tries to save his life, is going to lose himself, lose his self, lose his soul lose his life. Remember, the Greek there, tsuke, means all three. It means the whole thing. Yeah, all of the above. Life, self, soul. If you try to hang on to yourself, if you try to hang on to your soul, if you try to protect yourself, you're going to lose yourself. You're going to lose your soul. And we could, but the, the, the challenge there, I think, for some of us would be like, okay, I get that. That's what we talk about in church, and I can understand that's a spiritual issue. But most of us in our flesh would say, but that's not really a pressing issue for me because I'm going to live forever, at least for the next 10 years, or at least the next 20 years. I'll get to that when I'm on my deathbed. 
Please don't bug me about that right now. Um, I understand that's a big judgment issue and a big salvation issue and a big hell issue, but right now I'm just trying to get through the week, and I've got a lot of things on my plate. Okay, well, let's go to basic reality. In addition to uh, selfishness being suicidal, ultimately, to your spirituality, to your eternal destination, selfishness is deadly and suicidal to your health and your mind and your relationships today and this week. Selfishness is actually suicidal to yourself right now. And we don't even have to go to the Bible to learn that. I uh, went online and I was reading some things this week, including a number of reports published by the Mayo Clinic. You know, this is not a Christian organization, not an anti-Christian organization, but Mayo Clinic, medical information. And a number of studies, countless studies, reveal this on the advantages of forgiving other people. Advantages of forgiving other people who've wronged you. Improved physical health, improved medical health, improved recovery and strengthening of your immune system. Now, the last couple of years, all I've been hearing about is our immune system, and we need to bolster our immune system, you know, in the face of viruses, pandemics, etc. Well, sure enough, a number of studies reveal that your ability to fight off disease and strengthen your immunity is directly related to your forgiving of other people. And conversely, if you don't forgive other people, you're going to get sick a lot more. Uh, improved mental health, that's not a surprise, is it? Improved mental health, improved rest and sleep when you let things go and forgive other people. Not surprising, but a number of studies confirm this. Significant reduction in anxiety and stress, as well as significant reduction in, this is no surprise, hostility and depression if you forgive other folks. This is from the Mayo Clinic. This is not from the Bible. This is the Mayo Clinic. So as we return to the issues of forgiveness and unforgiveness today, let's just go ahead and recognize that a leading poison produced by selfishness that you can allow to in, in, you know, fester within you is unforgiveness. But conversely, if you get it out, you're going to heal and grow. So you can follow along with the sermon notes, which are in the bulletin today, and the bulletin is posted online, so if you're watching online, you can access these. Uh, and, I, and I say, when wronged, now notice, I want to emphasize this, when wronged, not if I am wronged, when I am wronged, because what's the reality of life? Will I be wronged? Yes. Will I be wronged a number of times? Yes. Will I be wronged sometimes when I'm not really being wronged, but in my head, I think it's wrong. Yes. Okay, so this is going to happen all the time. When wronged, I can, here's some other choices for you. I can dig my grave in victimhood. I can go ahead and just count myself out as a victim. Okay? I can burn in vengeance. And burning is not a good term here. Burning is kind of a foretaste of hell. Okay? So I can dig my own grave as a victim. I can burn in my resentment and anger, or I can live in Christ's grace and forgiveness. 
Which one would you choose? Let me invite us to the third choice. Again, we talked about prayer for forgiveness last week, and prayer is going to be essential to this. Remember that Jesus, when he is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, after the the beatitude about blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, at the heart of the beatitudes, well, as he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, sure enough, the central teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is on prayer. And guess what Jesus says his teaching about prayer is really ultimately all about? Guess what he says the Lord's Prayer is all about? Well, he tells us, we saw this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Immediately after teaching the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, here's what the Lord's Prayer is about. Here's what I'm teaching you is about. For if you forgive others their trespasses against you, your Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your Father will not forgive you. Oh, So when I'm praying about daily bread and I'm praying about being delivered from evil, did you hear that? Delivered from evil and the evil one. And when I'm praying about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that's actually the whole prayer and Jesus' call for us to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as in my life and the way I'm living. Jesus says the nub of the issue is forgiveness. You're either going to be a forgiver who is forgiven or you're going to live in death-dealing anger and resentment and unforgiveness. So we talked about that last week, and that's the key to prayer. Now let's move on to some other scripture. Uh, First to the Lord's Prayer and what follows from it in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to turn after the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount to uh, just a couple verses in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Matthew 7, 1 and 2. And then we'll also go to some selected verses from Ephesians chapter 4, the very end of Ephesians 4, leading into 5, 1. So first, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus as he moves in the direction of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, he's talking a lot about forgiveness, and here's what he says here. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Judge not that you not be judged. And then to, over to Ephesians, I'm going to read several verses to you from Ephesians 4 and then heading into chapter 5. Verse 26, God's word through the Apostle Paul says, Be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity. Literally there, the Greek tapon means place, foothold. Okay? Give no foothold, no place for the devil to butt in to the devil. Verse 30 through 32 and then chapter 5, verse 1. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, all, not some, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. This is within the church now. This is a conversation within the church in this passage. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then 
it's the continuing conversation here, even though it's marked as a new chapter by later editors. Therefore, the imitators of God, in other words, what I'm saying about all this is this, the imitators of God as beloved children, as beloved children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So a number of of movements here. You can follow along in the notes. Uh, I've got a main section here on things that we need to do that are getting rid of bad stuff. What Paul is talking about in Ephesians is he's talking about putting off the old self and selfishness, having our minds renewed in the spirit of God and in that grace from God, by his spirit, putting on the new man or the new self. So put off the old man or the old self, being renewed in the mind, renewing your mind, having your mind renewed by the Holy Spirit, put on the new man or the new self. So uh, to begin with, put off the old self and its old selfishness. Um, Put off, and Paul goes into a discussion here a lot about the way we deal with our emotions and the way we use words and actions flowing out of that. And first of all, he talks about a series that has to do with falsehood. We're not going to emphasize that today, but just to remind you, that is kind of part one of this discussion. And then he goes to this list. Bitterness. We need to put off bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, and malice. So first of all, over here in this part of the discussion, what the scripture is telling us is Don't let anger metastasize into sin. Don't let anger metastasize into sin. Don't give the devil a foothold, a way into your heart and soul and life, okay? The scripture here, Paul is quoting directly. If you go back to the call to worship that we led with, I'm showing you that Paul is quoting Psalm Psalm 4, verses 4 and 5. When Paul says, be angry or tremble in anger, but do not sin, he's directly quoting Psalm 4-4, okay? So he's saying that. So in other words, the whole scripture is telling us, look, we know, God knows we're going to be angry at various times. Anger is a normal emotion. It's a human emotion. Here's the issue. God himself is angry, God himself is angry and deals in wrath with sin. But here's a problem. Am I God? Am I perfect? Is my anger going to be perfect? What do you think? No. Is my job to play God? Do I play God on TV and have advertisements on TV talking to you like I'm God? Should I? No. No way. So don't let your, don't let my fleshly fall in human anger metastasize into sin, because that's what happens with human anger, typically. So the, the, the Bible commands, both in Psalm 4 and in Ephesians 4, don't let anger metastasize into sin. You can be angry, but do not sin. And don't give the devil a foothold. Don't indulge your anger. You know what James says in James chapter 1, right? This is at verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow what? To become angry. 
for the anger of man, the anger of human beings, does not produce the righteousness of God. Wait a minute, but I have righteous anger. No, you don't. You're going to distort it. You're a fallen human being. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So in God's word in Ephesians 4, there's some checks here. Don't sin. And you remember this, right? Parents, we try to teach our children this, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? Should I let the anger fester for a week or a month? What do you think? No. And that also is telling me before, I, before the sun goes down, what should I be doing? Well, I guess I should be praying if I'm a believer, right? And how does Jesus teach me to pray? Forgive us our debts as we do what? Forgive our debtors. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, Christian. If you're serious about being with Jesus, follow Jesus. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it, don't let it fester. Don't let it metastasize into sin. Give no opportunity, no foothold, no place for the devil to horn in to your life and your thought patterns and your soul. Now, the word here that is used is not satanus. It's... Uh, Diabolus. Okay, so that's the word that has to do with Satan is various things, but one of the things Satan is is he's a slanderer. He's a liar. So this is the word here for that. And when it's used with the definite article, uh, in this case, uh, to diabolo, you're talking about the supreme slanderer. Okay, and this is what's going on. In other words, the devil, if you let anger take a hold of you, and lead you to be a victim, a bitter victim, or an avenger, that guess who gets to talk badly about you to yourself and to God? The devil. That's what this passage is saying here. Don't give the devil that leverage on you to slander you before God now and at the judgment. And don't let him twist your mind. Uh, this whole discussion uh, drew my attention back to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to go there a couple times in this sermon. First of all, let's go back to our good friend Cain, uh, the son of Adam and Eve, who is the first murderer. Isn't it great to be the first of something? You know, he's, he's the original murderer, and uh, when, he's, when he's heading in the direction of planning to murder his brother Abel, because God is pleased with Abel but not pleased with God, let's remember this discussion. Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, this is Genesis 4 now. The Lord said to Cain, why are you, guess what? Angry. wonder what Cain should do with his anger. Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? And then here's what God says to Cain and what he says to you and me too. Verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen to this, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, is against you. But you must rule over it because I've appointed you to have dominion on earth, human being. I give you the power, if you will receive it from me, as my image bearer, to have dominion over your sin. Don't let anger rule you. And don't give the devil a foothold. That's what's going on there. Number two. Don't clothe yourself as a judge, as a victim, or as an avenger. First of all, don't clothe yourself. Don't put on the robe and play it on TV or in your life as a judge. 
Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 13. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Now, this is in the church, okay? So part of what we're talking about here is in these passages, there's a general thing about how you have to be forgiving generally towards all people, but it's intensified with people who are fellow Christians, okay? Uh, why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop judging one another. Let me repeat that. Let us stop judging one another. This is repeated all through the New Testament. It's, it's, it's essential Christianity 101 to stop judging other believers and to be forgiving towards them and then flowing from that to begin to be merciful towards outsiders and to pray for even our enemies ultimately. So uh, don't play judge. Number two, don't play victim. Now I know victim is big today, you know, the whole intersexual analysis and all this kind of stuff and we're upholding victims and you know, I need to be a victim if I want to have a voice at the table and all this type of thing. But, but psychologically, there is what's called a victim complex, and I think our whole society is getting kind of sucked into the victim complex. You know, it's just, it's just not productive. It leads to self-imprisonment, bitterness, and being a defeated person. Listen, listen to me. You're not supposed to be defeated by wrong. You're supposed to prevail over wrong. That's what, that's what God's Word is telling us. You know, and, and don't turn around and try to defeat evil with evil, but conquer evil with good, which brings us out of this resentment victim thing to the next level, which is avenger. Now, I know, I know the Marvel, you know, I know, I know we, we you know, we, we spend billions of dollars on the avengers and all this kind of stuff, but listen, we're not supposed to be avengers. Don't presume to take God's place as judge or avenger. God says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to worry about that. Let it go. So you can see I've got a spectrum here. Um, I don't know if any of you watched the Academy Awards last week or heard the news, but anyway, you can see kind of over on the lighter side of the spectrum, I have Will Smith there as our Avenger, kind of, you know, exhibit number one over there on the side. Then we can move over to a little more serious and seriously deadly Avengers, Putin and Hitler. Um, I'm going to get them back. That's my land. That's our land. I don't care if I rape and pillage and whatever, besiege, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's ours. Uh, we need breathing space. Uh, we, need, we need living space. Um, and then you go over to Cain and Lamech. I'm going to tell you about Lamech in a minute. And then, of course, ultimately the devil, because the devil really has a lot of grudges, and he's out to get everybody, and he's really upset that God loves you and not him, and that he's, he should be the one in charge, not Jesus, and that's the devil. He's an avenger. But let's go to our good friend Lamech. Okay, we're back to Genesis 4. Remember Cain, the first murderer? Now I'm going to introduce you to the first polygamist recorded in Scripture. It's uh, Cain's great-great-grandson, Lamech. Um, Lamech is a polygamist, and he's a narcissist, and he's very egotistical, and man, he acts on his anger. He is an avenger. He's exhibit number one in the Genesis story of being an avenger. So here's Genesis 4, verses 23 and 24. 
Lamech said to his wives, notice he has two of these, Ada and Zillah. Ada and Zillah. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's 77-fold. You mess with me, you're under my unending vengeance, is what he just said. So in other words, he's saying, you know, God promised to protect Cain sevenfold, you know, even when he went east of, when he was cast east of Eden. But apparently Cain kind of took it on himself to take vengeance seven times. Uh, Lamech is saying, I'll do it unending, 77. Now, you need to remember that word because we're going to come back to it in Jesus' teaching, 77. In other words, two sevens, perfect, unending, you know, going on forever. Number three, though, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit by turning from redemption to resentment. Do not grieve. God loves you. Listen to me. God loves you. He's given you his spirit if you've believed in Jesus. And you will grieve his spirit within you mightily if you bring in resentment instead of letting his sweet peace and grace rule your heart and your life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by turning from your redemption in Christ to being ruled by resentment. Okay? So here's the, the reality. Selfish self-abuse, being beaten and bitter, is not thriving in God's grace, but you can be set free. Turn it over to God. And this final note that I've highlighted here for you in the sermon notes as well is this. Bitterness, poison, and prevents the blessings that God has for you. And you can be blessed or you can be bitter. Let go of the bitterness and live in the blessings because bitterness poisons and prevents you living a life in God's blessing. Bitterness prevents a marriage of blessings. Bitterness present, prevents and, and poisons relationships between parents and children. It, it's not good. Old friendships, not good. Now let's move on to the positive then. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, through the Holy Spirit, bringing us a new mind, put on our new self, and our new mind in Christ. As God's beloved child, imitate him. Now, you may remember this a few weeks ago in this series when I was preaching on worship. I quoted from a, a biblical theologian named Greg Beale. And Greg Beale, in one of his excellent books on We Become What We Worship, uh, says this, you, as a human being, are made to imitate. This is why children do it when they're two and three years old. We're made to imitate. And what, what Beale says is this, what you revere, you will come to resemble for ruin or restoration. In other words, the, the people, the things that I revere, that I think are cool, I'm going to begin to imitate those things. And that's going to lead me either to ruin or to restoration. So what the scripture here is saying is, look, imitate God. Imitate God. Look up to God. You want to look up to somebody? Not a sports person or not Will Smith or not. <laughs> look up to God and imitate him. Not the latest, greatest in the world. 
And what is God like? What is Jesus like? God in Jesus Christ forgave you. And that's your template. You want to be a forgiver like God, the Father, and like Jesus. And by the way, like Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament, remember this? Joseph's brothers, you know, betray him, turn him over. He's sold into slavery years later when he's second in command in the great empire of Egypt. They're down, you know, they're down on their knees before him, and he reveals who he is, right? And what does Joseph do? Bring the hatchet down on them? No. He says this to them. What you intended for evil, God intended and used for good. And so Joseph forgives his brothers, does it twice, both when they first come to him and later after Jacob dies. And then think about Stephen, the first Christian martyr. This is in Acts chapter 7. At the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when he's being stoned to death by these zealous Jews um, who are just profaning the name of Jesus and stoning Stephen to death, what does Stephen do? Just like Jesus on the cross, just like the one who, whom he worshipped and admired and followed. Stephen says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Be like that. When you want to admire someone, admire the Lord and his followers. So in this, number one, trust God's judgment. Yield your soul and whoever harmed you, their soul, to God's judgment. Let me repeat that. Yield your soul and their souls to God. That's part of forgiving. I'm not the judge. Remember, I'm not the judge. So I'm going to yield them to you, Lord. You work in them, bring them to understanding, and bring them to new life. I'm going to yield them to you. I'm going to yield their soul. God says, vengeance is mine. God says, I'm the only judge. Don't play judge. Don't try to butt me out of my place. Uh, In his powerful book, Total Forgiveness, and I commend this book to you, R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness, He says, the true test of spirituality is being able not to point the finger. The true test of spirituality is being able to refrain from pointing the finger at someone else. That's the bottom line. So that means not only, most powerfully, most of these scriptures I've been reading talk about, first of all, within the body of Christ, okay, with other Christians. But ultimately, remember this, Jesus says, even pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. Even pray for them and bring their souls before God, who is the judge. Secondly, as God in Christ forgave you, forgive one another without limit. Let me repeat that. To the level that God in Christ forgave you, which was without limit, we also must forgive one another, particularly beginning with brothers and sisters in the church. Because remember the dynamic. If I haven't received God's forgiveness, I'm not going to forgive other people. But if I have forgiven, if I have received that forgiveness, I will forgive others. So um, don't point the finger. Ask God to forgive them. Go back to last Sunday's sermon on prayer for forgiveness. This means for them as well as for you. Uh, what about the limitless thing, Pastor? Yeah, let's, let's talk to that for a moment. 
over in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we read that after Peter, Simon Peter, had been hearing all this teaching from Jesus for a couple years about forgiveness, he decides to show off. And maybe he's trying to really spiritually grow. And Peter came up to Jesus and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? In other words, when my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? And then Peter says this, as many as seven times? Now, Peter thinks he's showing off because the huge majority of rabbis in Jesus' day said the law led you to forgive three times. This is like, you know, a couple thousand years before baseball, but it's basically three strikes and you're out, but we'll give three strikes, okay? So that's what the rabbis said. Peter thinks he's being really impressive by moving it up to seven times. You know, that's God's number, kind of a perfect number. I will forgive. Hey, Jesus, let me impress you. Should I forgive seven times? Guess what Jesus says in response. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 77 full times. Now, where have you heard that number before? Remember our good old friend Lamech, the, the polygamous murderer guy? Okay, remember him? He said he would take out vengeance 77 times, or in other words, ad infinitum, seven, sevenfold, okay? Jesus is taking Lamech's fallenness and vengeance and turning it on his head and giving us the gospel right there. That's what just happened. Jesus is going back to Genesis chapter 4 and saying, I take Lamech and I turn him on his head. No, you forgive to the level that Lamech talked about getting back at people. And then Jesus goes on and says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. This is like a billion dollars. This is the level that David gave to the building of the temple, which is in the scripture because it's so out of this world impressive. Uh, David gave uh, 7,000 talents in silver and 3,000 in gold to have the temple built by his son Solomon. This is a huge amount of money. There's no way you could work and pay this money off. So he owes 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you back everything. There's no way he can do this. (laughs) There's no way. This is going to have to be total grace. But sure enough, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. It's a massive amount. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a hundred days uh, wages for a, a standard worker for a hundred days. I mean, not that big of a deal. Seizing him, he began to choke him and said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And, I, and he really can do it. If he works for a hundred days and saves up, or gives him half over 200 days, it's it's doable within a year. He refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so here's the punchline from Jesus. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
from your heart, which leads us to the final point here, forgive from your heart in God's record-clearing love. Forgive from your heart. Turn your heart over to God and let him transform it. Forgive others in God's power. And how does God forgive? Without limit. Wait a minute. That would mean I would have to let go of my bitterness and hatred and live in God's love. Yes, welcome to Christianity and salvation. Wait a minute. If I'm going to surrender to God's love and actually believe in Jesus, I think I was at a wedding one time when they read something from 1 Corinthians 13 about how love keeps no account, no record of wrong at all. You mean I don't even get to remember this and keep it on my ledger? Yeah, love keeps no record of wrongs. Wait a minute, if I were going to do that, I'd actually have to believe in Jesus and follow him as my Lord and Savior. Yes, let's be born again in Jesus. Welcome to the gospel. Welcome to salvation in Jesus Christ. Forgive and keep no record of wrong, as God in Christ forgives you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.